As has already been mentioned, this month is LGBT Plus History Month. And this year's theme is Behind the Lens, which is celebrating LGBT Plus people's contribution to cinema and film from Behind the Lens. Now, Warren wrote about this in the most recent Open Table newsletter, and I'm just going to quote it to put it all in context. So, Miranda, our team rector, was a historian prior to ordination and says, Knowing our history is hugely important in shaping our future. LGBTQIA plus people have often been whitewashed out of history, leading people to, mis to the mistaken assumption that inclusion is solely a modern phenomenon, and churches have been particularly guilty of this. Warren goes on to say, celebrating LGBT plus history month is one way we reclaim our stories, our place in the ancient and grander story of humanity, and indeed God's story liberating others to do the same. So tonight I thought we could look at the, the story in Acts that we've just heard and see that as our story that we're going to reclaim tonight. Now, we think probably that the book of Acts was written somewhere around 1,933 years ago. So when we're talking about history, we're talking about considerably old history here. So what is this story and who is our protagonist? Well, our main character is an African genderqueer person called nothing other than the Ethiopian eunuch. There are various understandings of what it means or what it meant to be identified as a eunuch in Jesus's time. And Jesus himself wrote about eunuchs saying that some are born this way, which seems to me a reference to intersex people. Or Jesus also says, some are made this way. And I presume this to be a reference to a cisgender male who has been castrated. Jesus also says, or there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. Now that last one probably needs some unpacking and I'm not preaching on that bit tonight. But um, I suspect it's a reference to the celibate lifestyle that many eunuchs were either forced into or chose to live as. In society, a eunuch had three main roles. They were often employed as military officers, domestic servants or slaves, or as treasury officers. The reasoning at the time um, was based on the assumption that because it was either physically impossible for them to become parents, or because of their preferences, highly unlikely that they would have children, they weren't pursuing hereditary advantages. They could be trusted around women and royalty, as they were presumed to have no interest or ability to establish their own private dynasty, so they were often also entrusted with positions in the treasury. This particular Ethiopian eunuch was a court official to the Queen of the Ethiopians, a nation of great wealth and civilization. While rulers entrusted eunuchs with certain key positions, they clearly did not enjoy all the same benefits and privileges as those who were free did, and they were shunned by society. According to this, this story, our Ethiopian eunuch had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. We don't know the nature of the trip or how much understanding the eunuch had of the Jewish um, religion, but... Um, but we do know that in the book of Deuteronomy, it states that eunuchs may not enter the assembly of the Lord. So it's likely that not only had society marginalised this person, 
but so too had the religious leaders. How interesting then that God calls Philip to chase down this person's chariot as they journeyed home. Such is God's timing that the scripture that the eunuch is reading is that of Isaiah 53, which speaks of a body in disgrace and pain. Someone who's cut off from the rest of the people of God. We don't know really what Philip said. Perhaps he unfurled the scroll a little bit further to read Isaiah 56, which says, For this is what the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Or maybe he pointed to the eunuch, um, he pointed out Jesus Christ to the eunuch, God incarnate, who had entered creation in order to be with the marginalized and broken-hearted. Whatever it was, something deep and powerful is happening in this chariot as Philip and the eunuch read the scriptures together. This story is sometimes interpreted as merely a strategic evangelistic encounter where the eunuch is simply the vehicle that transports, quite literally transports, the news about Christ to the unknown world. Presumably that was the outcome, um, but this is by no means its main purpose for being recorded. What is happening here is that the eunuch is being brought into the future promised, especially for him, one in which our eunuch, as Willie James Jennings states, will not be in the shadows or at the margins of the people of God, but at the centre, held together with strong cords that capture our differences, never despising them, bringing them to glorious light and life. Now I want to pause here on our Acts reading and bring in our Gospel reading, which was all about the transfiguration. Because at first glance, this, this passage might appear to be the exact opposite of what's happening in, in Gospel's reading, in the, Matthew's Gospel reading. Here, not the marginalised, but a select top tier of disciples get to experience this fantastic transformation. They climb a high mountain. In ancient times, mountains were often considered closer to God. So the higher the mountain, the holier the summit. And then they watch on as their friend Jesus transforms into glorious and holy version of himself. Then the voice of God echoes around. What a spectacular moment. It's so brilliant that Peter even comments, it is good for us to be here. But it might leave us wondering, what about the rest of us mere mortals? The American preacher Nadia Boltz Weber quips, I imagine Peter with a selfie stick being like, Hey, Moses, just move a little closer to Elijah. And then posting it on social media with the caption that says, OMG, so fangirling on this mountain. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag it's so good for us to be here. It can all seem a little bit like these holy few get to experience this wow moment and the rest of us aren't invited. What's happening on this mountain is actually a reminder to those witnessing it that Jesus is connected to the prophets of old 
but that he is different from them. The disciples don't know yet, but Jesus is giving them a foretaste of his resurrected body, a concept that at this stage is, is just so beyond understanding. For now, they will all return back down the mountain. But unlike Moses, who left God at the top of Mount Sinai returning alone, Peter, James and John get to enjoy Jesus's company with them all the way down the hill. He is living up to his name, Emmanuel, God with us. And if he didn't know, know now um, that, that, this was, that Jesus was God, they're certainly getting the hint. When they get to the bottom of the mountain, they face a desperate man with a terribly ill child. And so they get back to the work of the kingdom, praying and being with people and loving them. As post-resurrection followers of Jesus, we don't need to climb mountains to encounter God. Jesus said that the spirit lives within us. And as Nadia Bolzweber says, you need no longer climb a mountain, strive for or achieve holiness, for it is too busy already reaching into the troubled dirt of our humanity. It has come to dwell with us in the valley of our shadows. And so we come full circle, back to our eunuch being chased down in the chariot, pursued by God's love, literally reaching in to that chariot. But here's um, what is, I think, especially interesting. So often in the Gospels, and even in the book of Acts, the stories of divine encounter result in a moment afterwards where folk are told to turn away from their sins or go and sin no more. But we don't get that here. Here the eunuch is not told to change or to be anyone else. They are not commanded to adhere to a particular pattern of worship, pray a particular routine every day or do a particular Bible study. No, we simply read that the conversation results in a beautifully spontaneous baptism, an outward sign of the invisible grace that now inhabits this holy body. And then we read that Philip disappears and the eunuch is now free to go out and live their newfound belonging in Christ. They go along the road rejoicing. God is instituting a new pattern. One, which again Jennings says, will embrace change in family and society. One that is willing to travel into the unknown allowing mystery to be revealed in each step. The strange and the new, wrought by God, will now bind together Philip and the eunuch in a new paradigm of belonging. So this is why it's so vital for us to reclaim this story. Because this baptism paved the way for all subsequent baptisms of those who were on the margins of society and or religion. This baptism was the first of its kind drawing a genderqueer person right into the centre of the gospel message. This baptism was not some token gesture. It signifies how the church needs people like the Ethiopian eunuch to be whole and to be fully embodying Christ. So tonight, Lou, we give thanks at Open Table that you are making us whole as Christ is making you whole. <laughs>